0: Welcome to Professor's Talk Pedagogy, a podcast from the Academy for Teaching and Learning at Baylor University. I'm your host, Christopher Richman. Professor's Talk Pedagogy presents discussions with great professors about pedagogy, curriculum, and learning in order to propel the virtuous cycle of teaching. As we frankly and critically investigate our teaching, we open new lines of inquiry we engage in conversation with colleagues, and we attune to students' experiences, all of which not only improves our teaching, but enriches and motivates ongoing investigation. And so the cycle continues. Today, our guests are Drs. Amy Fleming, a lecturer in music theory, Andrea Shepherd, clinical instructor at Louise Harrington School of Nursing, and Karina Malavanti, returning guest and senior lecturer in psychology and neuroscience, all at Baylor University. All three of our guests are recent fellows in Baylor's Summer Affordable Course Materials program, which offers Baylor faculty the opportunity to reevaluate their course materials with an eye toward replacing required course materials with low to zero cost materials, such as Open Educational Resources, or OERs, in order to reduce the per class costs for students. We are delighted to have Drs. Fleming Malavante, and Shepard on the show to discuss the inspiration, challenges, and impact of adopting, adapting, or creating affordable course materials. Well, Amy Fleming, Karina Malavante, and Andrea Shepard, thank you all for joining the show today.
1: We're excited to be here.
0: Let's, Let's start by just getting a context for each of you with your affordable course materials projects here. We might be using the term open education resources or Oer as synonym for this, but we know that that doesn't quite catch all of it that that might that people might be doing. but uh, let's just hear from each of you what your project is, what inspired you to do this and what materials did you either adopt or adapt or create for this. So Karina, would you
1: start us off? Oh, I'd love to. Um, So I teach very large classes of introductory psychology and introductory neuroscience classes. And one thing that inspired me to apply to this fellowship and really kind of redesign the way I teach this class is hearing directly from students that they were having some hardships from the expensive required textbooks that are very common in comprehensive science classes. And um, thinking about these students, there are ways that we can individually help one student at a time. Like I get sometimes publisher copies that I can lend out or give to students or get find them free resources. And what I really thought about upon reflection was why not do this for everyone? Not everyone will have the um, kind of innovative idea to go and ask the professor when they're having these problems. Some people are probably just not going to buy the textbook and then not want to ask for help and then have a poor grade as a result. And so because of that experience and uh, reflecting on on just my teaching overall, I was really inspired to apply for this new program, this new fellowship program, which um, m- made me kind of think a little bit more strategically. Um, So I know that there have been lots of open access resources for introductory psychology in particular, um, but my colleagues and I couldn't find one that was as comprehensive or as um, kind of robust and rigorous as we would like. So I kind of thought, well, why don't we create one? Why don't we kind of remix and adapt what's already existing and then supplement what we need to, to create what we need for our class? So now we have a really great press book project that has 13 chapters, And I used information from Lumen Learning, OpenStack, NOBA Psychology. I did have to do some of my own writing. And I did also reach out to colleagues at other institutions. Um, like Duke, um, like George Mason University, um, because we this is a, a, a passion project that other colleagues share across the nation. And so being able to kind of reach out into my network and kind of create something that is not only going to use uh, be useful for our students at Baylor, but useful for students at other universities was really intriguing and very um, one of the reasons why I wanted to do this project. So I'm excited that I got to do that.
0: Fantastic. Thank you. And Amy, so what was the the course and, and the project that you have worked on here?
2: Yes. Okay. So in the School of Music, we have uh, four classes that every music major has to take. They're called Musicianship 1 through 4. There's also a remedial introductory musicianship class. Um, and these are classes where students learn how to write down music they hear, and they learn how to sing or perform rhythms that they see. And we had a textbook that uh, we've been using for a long time that was an okay textbook. And it was also an expensive textbook. And it was a textbook that had switched recently to a subscription model, which when you're using it across four, four or five semesters, it really makes the price go significantly up. And so my colleagues, Edward Taylor and Horace Maxiel and I decided that we wanted to just write our own version of it. And there's really nothing out there prior to our project uh, that's open that we could borrow from. So we just had to create everything from scratch. We composed uh, 1,750 musical examples and then recorded them and uploaded them and created five press books, one for each semester um, um, that our students now have access to with uh, recordings of real instruments It's also something that really just fits our curriculum a lot better than the previous one that the previous textbook we had used. So we were able to create something from uh, from scratch that just fit our core curriculum a little bit better and also saved our students that money of having to pay for the recurring subscription every semester. And it's just way easier to access it since it's just through Pressbooks.
0: That sounds like a lot of work. We can come back to that in a second. (laughs) And Andrea, can you give us sort of the the foundational uh, info on your project too?
3: Absolutely. So I teach in our nursing school and I primarily teach with our online graduate students um, who are studying to be family nurse practitioners. So really studying medicine. And um, our program is completely online. And our students, when they, you know, our required textbooks for our classes really um, is just a waste of money. I'm going to be honest. Um, the students have to take three diagnosis and management course courses. So it's where they're learning how um, to diagnose and, and how to treat specific illnesses that they're going to see when they become a real family nurse practitioner. And so, as you can imagine with medicine, it is ever evolving. And so asking our students to buy a new textbook for each of those sequence courses just really seemed like it was unfair. Um, And then, you know, these are graduate students, they have families, they're still trying to juggle work, but the program is rigorous. And so oftentimes they have to cut back on work. And so just being mindful um, about their expenses really helped to inspire um, this project. And really just the nature of how medicine is always evolving helped to also inspire the nature of this project and really pushed, actually it was a colleague, um, Katie Vogelar and I, she teaches one of the other of the three sequence courses and we both applied and were fellows together. Um, but that was really kind of the foundation of what pushed us to do this because we just thought it was ridiculous to keep asking our students to buy a new textbook every single semester. And so what we did was actually very different from my colleagues. Um, I wouldn't call it open educational resource or OER. Really what we did is we used a resource that we have here at Baylor and it's called Access Medicine. And it's basically a database of um, McGraw Hill products. So it's a publisher where Baylor does pay for the licensing to have this open database. And this database has a lot of reputable medical textbooks. It has access to to infographics, to podcasts. So it really, it's a database full of these uh, materials that can be catered to every single learning style. And so the thought was, is that for our required textbook in our course, we could use one of the books that's available in Access Medicine, which is for free for our students when they use their Baylor credentials to sign in. And then that way the textbook is actually updated every single year. So the, you know, the most up-to-date treatment guidelines is always there. And so they they would literally have um, like the cutting edge information at their fingertips for free. And so that's a little bit about the background of, of our project.
0: A common theme that I'm already beginning to hear in each of your stories about just the genesis of these projects is collaboration with your colleagues. So, who whoever wants to comment on that? How how did you how did you sort of get a team together? Uh, how did you decide who was taking the lead and who would be supportive? How does all of that work with a project like this?
3: Yes, um, I can touch on that a little bit. So in our nursing school, I mentioned that my colleague, she teaches like the sister course to the course that I taught. And we actually decided to tackle this um, separately. So having separate fellowships, but still collaborating with each other. So in our courses, we're both teaching different types of information, right? Like I'm covering certain illnesses and she's covering certain illnesses. But also we still wanted our um, our own teaching style to, to shine, And so some things that I pulled from that Access Medicine database, like specific infographics or specific podcasts, um, were things that I felt like I wanted to put in the course to cater to the learning styles of the students I anticipated. And she had a different take on it as well. So I felt like the collaboration piece was important um, to help be sure that we're on the same Accord in the sense that we're using the same main or requiring the same main textbooks, um, so that our information is consistent in that manner. But at the same time, we also cross collaborated to ensure that our individuality as an instructor was still shining through, too.
0: Yeah, and Amy, you mentioned the importance of fitting the curriculum, so I, I assume that means like across many courses, not just this sequence, but maybe like for the major itself.
2: Yeah, definitely. So we have uh, like written theory classes, and then the musicianship classes that uh, we wrote the textbooks for kind of are supposed to align well with those. And they mostly do, except with the previous textbook, there was always a little bit of trying to work around the textbook of like, oh, well, they don't really have This information, yeah, and so we've got to wait. We can't use those exercises. Now it's just, it aligns perfectly. And um, as you're talking about collaboration, we met as a theory department, all six of the music theorists on campus to talk about whether we wanted to do this because since it is a sequence that feeds in, you know, from musicianship one all the way through musicianship four, it was really important that we all wanted to do this project and then we were all on board with it. And then having myself and two colleagues collaborate on actually making the materials was wonderful because when you're composing melodies and all of that, it's great to have three people doing it. So we have melodies that are kind of in different people's voices and styles and all of that. I've joked with uh, some of my students that I should give extra credit if they can guess who wrote the exercises that I'm assigning for homework because I... I think we all have our own styles that you'd be able to tell. Um, but it, it was great to have uh, Horace and Ed to collaborate with. And then we also had some of our other colleagues share materials that they've created over the years and just kind of like add them into ours as well. So we have really a broad variety of, of compositional styles and all that, which is really important.
0: Great. So let's talk about challenges because each of these projects seems like there's a lot of moving parts and I'll speak for myself sometimes you know just doing the process of choosing a traditional textbook can be very time consuming and onerous so there's this added level of you know either creating or or combining things that are out there so what what challenges did you run into what obstacles did you have to figure out how to overcome in this process
1: Well, this is where I think the um, Summer Affordable Affordable Course Materials Fellowship was really helpful because I do think you can do this on your own where you can plan out your materials and how it's going to map on with your class and your curriculum um but with that fellowship in particular you meet with a learning design team and a librarian in your area and so you have a lot of support to kind of navigate these challenges in addition to i was using pressbooks so in addition to finding out information about pressbooks and being able to um import and export things as necessary and so um the challenges were really kind of um navigated through a team kind of atmosphere, which was helpful because, you know, I did this by myself and Um, even though I had talked to my colleagues about doing it, I was like the head person doing this for intro psych, but now this is being used in other sections of intro psych. And so this summer we'll actually build on it. We'll, um, you know, fine tune some things. And that's the, that's the blessing of open access is that you can adapt even within as not only as you are creating, but as you are using it the very first time, or even later on reflection. Um, so a my main challenge really was like buckling down and figuring out, okay, which source am I going to use for this particular content area, like consciousness or positive psychology within social psychology, um, especially in areas where I'm not the expert, because I'm a cognitive psychologist. Um, so, kind of going through that, reaching out to people that are more in the know in those areas um, was helpful. But it is a challenge. It is a challenge, though, that was enjoyable for me. I really like looking at textbooks. I like looking at, well, what do my students really need to know um, as we're thinking about, you know, like backwards course design and just designing a class. So, doing this actually helped me with my course design. So, absolutely, this is very time and intensive, but it was also very helpful for my pedagogy. And my students' comments at the end of the semester were like, oh my gosh, this is, this maps on way better than a traditional textbook would have because I got to order the chapters the way I wanted to order them. I got to choose content the way that I wanted it to be discussed in class. And so um, having that freedom can be a little challenging in order to create it at the beginning, but now it maps on like almost perfectly, which was really a great thing for my students.
0: That's good. And I can imagine too, that in some cases you just, even if the content itself in your traditional textbook is, is adequate or does the job. Maybe it's like the order uh, of the chapters just seems awkward to you or something like that. And and having to ask students, okay, I know we read 12 last week and now we're gonna re- jump to 18 again, come back to 13 can kind of seem weird. So just that ability to to move them where you want to in terms of the calendar, I think can probably be very helpful. Yes, absolutely. Other thoughts about the challenges in this these kinds of projects?
3: Yes. So one, I do want to echo Karina's challenge of just the time intensity of, you know, of a project of this magnitude, even with something as simple as, you know, pulling out sources from this access medicine database that I was mentioning. It's really, um, you know, you have to be strategic with pulling out the correct chapters because for us, we're preparing our students to take a certification exam. So we have to be sure that we are pulling out the correct information that's also going to prepare them for that. And I agree that the incentive of the fellows program um, was very helpful with the time intensity. And the fact that it's during the summer is very helpful too. Like there's just no way I can imagine trying to, to do that kind of work in the fall or the spring. But my biggest challenge that I want to harp on, which is interesting um, is really we still had students go out and buy textbooks. And uh, we found I found that to be the biggest challenge. Like I know in the literature, they were saying that there are some students who still prefer to have a hard copy book instead of an ebook, right? And it um, it can be dependent on their age or just really their preference and um i did i did my course evals but i also did a specific eval on the on the new course materials just so we can gather more data and there were we just had a handful of students who preferred to have a hard copy book and they literally echoed some of the challenges that that's written in the literature about using ebooks like if there were technical glitches um that even though it was an ebook the students still prefer to print pages out and after a while that still becomes cost intensive and so really just trying to figure out and then there was some miscommunication they looked at this uh at a different resource that our school has about their required textbooks and they didn't see the note that the textbook is available for free for them and so it's just figuring out how to um how to get the word out there a little more that this resource is really free for you and you can even play it back like if you are an auditory listener you can play your chapter and listen to it while you're driving in the car right so really trying to hone in on the benefits and um and getting that communicated to the students is one way that we're trying to work against that barrier but i wanted to be transparent about that
0: Yeah absolutely any thoughts amy on challenges
2: Yeah i would say for us the biggest challenge was just project management i mean we were we had to compose 1,750 examples, but then also like edit the audio files, you know, and do the recording process. And we worked with uh, 12 school music students to record on real instruments. So we had to coordinate all of that and then edit the files and then upload them. And then we need keys. And we need... it was, it was just a lot of uh, project management challenge. So I used a lot of Post-it notes and color coding and Trello boards and Google Sheets and all of that to help. But I'd say that was for sure the biggest uh, difficulty. We were also helped out, though, by our our dean was very supportive of the project. And uh, Dean Mortensen gave us funding to pay our student uh, performers to record the examples, but then also funding for a student worker to help with a little bit of that editing process, which took some of the burden off of me since I was like the project lead and trying to juggle all of the things we had moving around.
0: So Karina had mentioned some of the implications for uh, course design, backward course design, when you're doing a project like this. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on how using these kinds of materials might change your learning objectives or maybe refine your learning objectives, what kind of assignments or assessments you're giving students, because we all know that A textbook cannot just, you know, be plopped in there without having implications for so much else that a a student is experiencing.
2: Well, I'll say for us, um, I think these things that we created were a lot about um, having a bank of activities available for assignments. And now they are so flexible and easy to use and easy to tailor for each instructor because You know, in a given semester, we might have, you know, eight or nine different people teaching musicianship classes. And we all have personal preferences about what types of activities we want our students to do and how much homework and all of that. In the previous textbook, it was kind of just said, it was like, well, here's quiz number one, and that's what they're going to do from homework. And it's all melodies, but we want some harmonies and we want some rhythms too. Now we have the freedom to, for each instructor to just tailor it to exactly what they want, Pressbooks makes that so easy to just kind of drag and drop materials into a PDF or to just tell the students, hey, do these exercises from the different pages on Pressbook. And it's it, to me, it just makes the uh, learning process way better because you're just approaching it from more different angles every week rather than being kind of pigeonholed into one one category for each assignment.
0: Yeah, we often talk about... When, when we're working with faculty about the different ways that you might design a course and sometimes those kind of textbook, and I mean that both like figuratively and literally, some of the, those textbook categories work against the integration of knowledge that we want students to eventually be able to do. We just, we sort of have this idea that because they learned X, Y, and Z, I can give them a test that, that asks them to synthesize X, Y, and Z without having done any of that stuff in the process of getting there. So you're, you're, I think you're pointing out there where you can do that integration more intentionally when you create the things yourself, right?
2: Yeah. And that's another thing is, I mean, most of the textbooks out there say, okay, well, do X, Y, Z. And that's all the homework is ever. It's just do X, Y, Z, do X, Y, Z. And for us, we think there's a lot of things that aren't just X, Y, Z that are really important that are either steps that help the students build up to being able to do xyz or just take it in another direction of something they might have to actually do in their careers that's a little bit more practical like for us error detection is a big thing of our students need to be able to listen to someone perform something and know when they're not doing it right and that's not taught hardly ever and that wasn't in our previous textbook and yet we expect them to get their music education degree or become a conductor and suddenly magically know how to do that. Our textbook that we wrote, you know, the press book stuff, we we have so many exercises designed to help them learn how to do that gradually.
0: I love that. What a great example. Yeah. Other thoughts about how this process implicates your learning objectives or assessments?
3: Yeah. Just to build a little bit off of what Amy mentioned that this process or you know, having these resources available in our course really helps to develop skills in our students that you don't get with a textbook. And so um, I mentioned with medicine, it's constantly changing and what, what really guides our practice are clinical practice guidelines. And a lot of those are written in like journal articles, which were also integrated into our course as part of this project. But as a provider, I mean, we don't know everything. And when, when we get out to practice, we could come across something that we're, we could recognize it, but we just don't remember how to treat it. And so we really um, wanted to be able to build those skills in our students of knowing your resources and how to find what you need so you can competently care for your patient. And so, by introducing our student to the Access Medicine database, so although we had the we used the textbooks out of there, just letting the students know that that was there for them, and integrating some of the things from that database into the course really allowed the students to be active learners and pick out and pull what they needed to learn or things that they needed to hone in on um, in terms of topics. But it also allowed them to get into the habit. Of knowing how to search for um, things that they needed. So, for example, if they were not well versed in how to treat a person with strep throat, they could easily, um, you know, practice going and access medicine and trying to find reputable sources to ha- of how to treat strep throat. And then in the long run, that will translate to them when they are family nurse practitioners.
0: Now, Karina, I know you're always thinking about backward course design, so maybe maybe this process didn't didn't change big picture things for you, but maybe it helped you to
1: do some things better that you were aiming for. Yeah, I I think it helped streamline a little bit better um, my approach to the class with the materials that are used for the class. So that alignment was very helpful, just like our other presenters have said, um, and it has done now a better job of kind of matching up some of my objectives with the materials that are supporting our time together in class as we learn together. Um, I also am kind kind of up against, you know, the publishing industry, which is, you know, a textbook sells not only pages in a book or in an ebook, but also publisher videos and interactive quizzes and adaptive quizzes and slideshows and all of that. And so there is, it, it can be very challenging for a science instructor to want to give that up, to want to give up um, access to those things. And so what I liked about Pressbooks, though, is that you can include, um, you know, freely available or um, publicly available YouTube videos, TED Talks, um, interactive quizzes, Um you know, other demonstrations. And that I think is very helpful than just having kind of words on a page on a website is this idea of being able to try to simulate some of that, which is great for our students learning. It gives them checkpoints to check their understanding. It gives them um, really fun and interactive videos and demonstrations to kind of move their learning forward, Um, especially because sometimes our conversation in class maybe takes up some of that time when we would play a video. So I really liked that we could infuse that and then that really helped with the alignment of what do I want my students to learn and then what materials are supporting that learning.
0: Yeah, so Pressbooks has been mentioned a couple of times. Maybe it's it's worth just pausing. I can I can put something in the show notes here that might get give a give a good link to it. But what what is what is Pressbooks? What how does this help with the with the process?
1: You know, so I am not a Pressbooks expert, which is why I was so glad to have a team help me navigate this, but I do know that Baylor has like an institutional license for press books, and it kind of functions as a way for you to have a URL for your, mar- for your materials. So, you know, I have like a psych science URL that I can embed within my Canvas page and that students are able to bookmark or navigate through Canvas very easily. And that's my textbook. And then I'm able to like update that, adapt it as needed, even throughout the semester. Um, but it definitely has a little a bit of a learning curve. You know, I think anybody who has ever blogged before, you know, would kind of say like, anytime you open up WordPress, you're like, what's happening? You know, anytime you're opening up a new um, like web modality, it's going to take a little bit of a learning. But as far as I know, it is like a repository of open access textbooks and materials. And that's kind of one way that we were able to use this open access resources.
0: So, Andre, I already mentioned this. Does press books have a, have a simple way to print for those who prefer to for it to be printed, or is that more complicated? Because I've never used press books, and I'm sure many of our listeners haven't either.
1: So, I mean, um, there is a way for you to kind of export it into like an EPUB file, you know, if you wanted a Kindle version or uh, like a PDF version. So there are ways to do that. Um, I did have a student that has had um, some mild traumatic brain injuries that had, you know, asked for paper copies and I was able to print that out for her very easily um, it does take up a little bit more space, but I didn't mind doing that for my student, um, especially because, you know, she kind of I didn't feel like she needed to to tell me, but she did tell me kind of what was happening in her background. And I was able to say, absolutely, I can print this out for you. Um, but I do think that, again, um, I might now add a little note at the beginning, you know, saying, like hey, if you're using this at Baylor, you can contact your instructor and I can get you a printed copy of whatever chapters that you need, because I do think think it's important for us to have this uh, accessible resource for students, even those who need hard copies.
0: Yeah. Well, Andrea already took us down this road too a little bit, but let's talk about how the students have experienced this, uh, how they have reacted to these projects. Because I think probably for many of our students, this is the first experience of having a non-traditional textbook. They may have had e-books before as textbooks, But something that was, you know, created kind of specially for this class, that's probably a different experience. So what have you heard from the students?
3: In addition to what I stated earlier, we had lots of positive feedback. They loved it. They loved the fact that their learning styles could be catered to. And. And they also really love the fact that they had cutting edge medicine right there at their fingertips as guidelines were changing. Like if a new guideline came out on how to treat pneumonia, it was being updated in the textbook right then and there. And so that's another positive of just OER in general. And so uh, the students absolutely love that aspect, that the information they were getting was not outdated like it was in the textbook.
1: Um, i our, t- our, oh, oh go ahead oh i i t- took a survey um and I, I routinely do this in classes. So students are very used to, you know, just telling me their thoughts. Um, but I wanted to know if students actually use this textbook, if they had purchased an additional textbook on top of this uh, open access source. I wanted to know if they felt it was necessary for them um, to succeed in the class. If they So if they did use it, I wanted to know um, comments. I wanted to know just anything. So I took a lot of... Um, A lot of feedback and the students were overwhelmingly positive and encouraging um, about future iterations of this as well. And they even kind of stated um, more classes should do this, especially for courses where professors can write materials or access free materials for their courses and it would benefit all students. Um, They even said it's such a perk to have a free good book that is accessible equally to all students. And so um, it was, it was a portion of the class, you know, that took the survey, this particular one, but overwhelmingly um, all of the students read the textbook. They used it. They used the interactive components. They felt like it was a good resource for them and that they would also use this in the future. Um, They also said things like, oh, this is such a great uh, resource because, you know, I could tell that you were very thoughtful about the material that went into this particular textbook. Um, this, you know, even some of them said, you know, wow, this textbook was the best textbook I've ever used. it um, kind of, I think what, what I think that they're trying to get at here is that there was no extra stuff that they didn't need. Um, So I think that sometimes when we ask students to buy a $200 textbook and then you only use 75% of it, they're like, did I really need to buy that? Um, And so we're able to curate the materials that are necessary for this class, and then they'll be able to keep that forever as well as the updates. Um, So I think that some of these comments are really getting at what our students want out of a class, which is they want an alignment between the materials and the way that you are teaching the class and the things that are gonna help them in the future. And so I was really glad to get this feedback. And I also got constructive feedback like, hey, there was a time when there was a glossary link that was dead um, or a video didn't play or there was a grammatical error. And so now the science librarian and I are thinking of, oh, we need a comment box so that we can get that information tweaked as we go in because it's it's a lot of information. It's a cumulative <laughs> textbook. Um, but overwhelmingly students have been very positive very encouraging and we're really excited in our department about other instructors now kind of taking this on and doing this in more classes
0: i really like how you talk about the the material fitting the course just the way that you want it to like having that kind of tailored uh alignment with with the course i mean i think we we run into this in in a lot of different ways even maybe at like the chapter level where it's like we assigned a chapter and we think it's a really good chapter from a textbook a, a traditional publisher textbook but there may be s- several things in that chapter that we are not as an instructor all that concerned about and we're maybe not going to assess the student on but the student can't tell the difference between you know, paragraph A and p- paragraph B, that's something that sort of exists in a hidden way in our mind. So in this way, you can just cut it out, right? If if that's not what you're concerned about your students learning, you just cut it out. Yes. Amy, you were going to jump in there.
2: Oh, yes. I was going to say, um, for me, one of the most exciting things about using this is I, I no longer have any students being like, oh, well, I, I haven't been able to do the homework for the last month because I couldn't afford the textbook, which sometimes I would get before, not super often, but often enough that it's it's just a concern. And, you know, students don't always want to come forward and tell you that at the beginning of the semester when, you know, I would definitely be willing to work with them and find ways for them to access the stuff. That's no, no longer a problem, which is really exciting. Um, I also had the experience because I teach sophomore level musicianship of teaching students who had the old textbook last year and now are using the new textbook and they have been really excited about it because number one, it's free. They didn't have to pay for a new subscription code. Um, Number two, like they know we wrote it for them. And I think they, you know, like that, that feels really good to them. that like We took the time and we made this huge thing because of them and because we care about them being able to afford stuff and because we care about the things we're using, aligning better with our curriculum and all of that. It also, I think, gives them a little bit of a sense of ownership of it. I've been very upfront of, you know, this is the first year we're using this. And with 1,750 musical examples, I am sure that there are some errors in there. And so the students, you know, get excited of like, oh, like we found like we found a thing here that's like not quite right and so you know i've been making And not just the errors
0: you put there on purpose right
2: (laughs) yes not just we we pretended that it was on purpose so that they would learn something yeah uh but it's it's exciting because they are you know paying attention enough to tell us that and they know that we're going to then take it and update it this summer and it's so easy to do that with Pressbooks, um and they they just feel really involved and i think feel some ownership over it
0: it sounds a little bit like this kind of project, especially if you're if you're transparent with your students about it. It has a it has a way of also kind of pulling back the veil of your discipline a little bit because they can they can see better the instructor's logic for what you're including and not including in a course.
1: Absolutely.
0: Well, my wrap up question here for you all, I, I do hope to hear from all of you is sort of a, a lessons learned kind of. Uh, Thing here. So, what advice do you have for other faculty who are at various stages? Maybe, maybe this is the first time they're hearing about uh, alternative type types of course materials or open access or uh, OER. What advice do you have for faculty who are thinking about this?
3: Really simply, go for it. I mean, Baylor has such excellent support system here that Karina mentioned, um, and I just feel like the, the benefit, the large benefit that taken on a project of this magnitude will have on the students and the students to come, um, and even on the faculty too, like the faculty that will use the same materials um, in other courses or other sections rather, is so worth it it's worth it. And in the process, I also want to give the advice to give yourself grace too. Um it's been spoken of that there's a learning curve especially when you are creating your own OER, right? And uh it's this is a new concept for a lot of us. And so give yourself grace in the process and just know that you're supported.
1: Yeah, I'd I'd echo that completely. Um I think it's important to kind of take, take the leap. Um, If you want to explore open access or alternative materials, there's a lot out there. And if there isn't, then there is a fellowship for you to create new content. Um, So having that support here at Baylor is huge. Um, I'll also say that I think um, students are starting to pay attention to this a little bit more than they were 10 years ago. Um, And what I mean by that is to say that students are starting to advocate for themselves and they're wanting to know, like, they're wanting the justification, you know, what, why do I need this $200 textbook, you know, is this going to be a class, you know, for my non majors core curriculum, do I need this textbook to succeed, and most of, you know, I'm talking from a science perspective and most of us are like, yes, you need the textbook. <laughs> um, and so if, if you are able to justify that, I think that students are very happy um, if, if they can afford it to buy that textbook. And then we also have to reach out to students who can't afford it. Um, so as Baylor continues um, to, you know, um, be an HSI or emerging uh, Hispanic student, Um, serving institution um, or increasing the number of Pell eligible students that are coming. You know, we also have to realize that our student demographic is one that they're going to be needing and asking for the assistance. And they might want to know, like, what have we done to help them succeed here at Baylor? This is one tangible way. This is one very time intensive, but also a very rewarding way for us to connect to our students and their needs and then also to their families because it's not just them. Um, you know, coming from a first generation um background and also first generation American background, you know, asking for help can be really hard. Um, but now we've got a lot of resources here at Baylor so that students are asking more savvy questions. And I love it. I'm glad that we have the First in Line program. I'm glad that we have McNear Scholars here. And I'm glad that now they're being advised to ask, what textbook is necessary for this class? Is there a free one? Is there some other way that I can do well in this class, even if I can't afford this textbook? And then also knowing that we have the store here on campus. So there's a lot of different things that Baylor is doing, but this is a way that we as professors can help our students succeed here. And so if we're talking about like retention numbers, this is a way for us to increase the amount of people who are gonna stay here at Baylor. Knowing that their professors care about them, their well-being, their financial health is important, and so this is a way that we can do that. So go for it. Get a team together through the fellowship, through learning design team, through the libraries. Um, it can be challenging, but there are people there to ask questions and get help, and then just know that we can adapt. And then also, it is so time intensive that I didn't finish the entire textbook during the summer, so we were still working until late September to finish the textbook off. And that as something that I knew going into it. It was such a large project for me, um, you know, curating and then also writing um, bits and pieces throughout. And so, you know, knowing knowing that to give myself grace and to know that it was going to get done and to have a deadline to meet, you know, internally was very helpful for me. And so kind of, I went for it. I didn't really have the time to do it. I was glad to be paid for it through that um, summer affordable course materials fellowship, but it, it ended up being very beneficial. And I can't wait to build on this in the future.
0: Yeah. So what I'm hearing is don't wait till you feel like you have the time to do it
1: also true. Yeah.
0: Amy, what what are your final thoughts for us? Advice for your colleagues?
2: Sure. I would just echo what Andrea said is just go for it. I think a lot of us faculty members know the feeling of having a textbook that you use because it's just what you use and it's what was passed down to you, or it's kind of like, the least bad one out there but there's always things that you're frustrated about in it or you don't like how it approaches this or the ordering's wrong or whatever else this is a chance to make the textbook that you want to use and you know it's not just because it's the least bad thing out there it's because it's exactly what's right for your class and I think like I would say don't feel don't feel like, oh, but who am I? Like, could I really write a text? But like, yeah, absolutely you can. And you're gonna have a support team in place to really help you do that and you know, help write something that's gonna fit your course and fit your students and everything so well. Um, and I think also just talk to the people around you. I mean, for me, when I heard about this, I was immediately like, yes, we have to do this. And just having those conversations with my colleagues and with my dean, like everyone was so excited about it and it you know, out of that came this team that was going to do all this work together. Um, so I think if you have conversations with people in your department or with deans or division directors, you know, you'll you'll get some excitement building that will give you the confidence to go write this new amazing textbook that your students will uh, be able to afford and and use for years to come.
0: Well, thank you. That seems like a good place to close out here. I want to thank you all, Amy Fleming. Karina Malavanti, Andrea Shepard for joining us today and for sharing your experiences with these alternative and affordable textbooks. Appreciate it. Our thanks again to Amy, Karina, and Andrea for joining the show. If you'd like to know more about Baylor's Summer Affordable Course Materials program or OER resources like OpenStax and Pressbooks, See the links in our show notes. And remember, the best way to support our show and stay up to date on our discussions is to subscribe to Professor's Talk Pedagogy on whatever podcast app you use. That's our show. Join us next time for Professor's Talk Pedagogy.